2: Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One.
0: Dress has not been reduced. Uh, It's been an uncanny couple of years. And you might be feeling a little worn down uh, in the thick of winter here. Uh, Sicknesses as well get upon us in addition to COVID, of course. Very important to support our immune system. Uh, do what you can to boost it by supporting your gut health. Some suggest that immune system is very tied into your gut well-being. Jonathan Jacobs, a physician and professor at UCLA, he says, quote, the microbiome and the immune system are critically intertwined. This means that when you get the wrong stuff going in your gut, um, it can affect our immunity. It can. We believe we there's good evidence for that now. And it's not easy to get everything right, so you could try Biome Breakthrough daily. Biome Breakthrough contains powerful probiotics and prebiotics, right? In order to use the probiotic, you need the prebiotic, as well as a -a one-of-a-kind ingredient called IGY-MAX. IGY-MAX is a patented egg-based protein that helps with gut health reverses damages caused by antibiotics. IGY Max may be an important immune system nutrient. By taking Biome Breakthrough daily, you can affect bad bacteria, enhance good bacteria, build up immune function. Best time to take Biome Breakthrough is first thing in the morning. Mix it in eight ounces of water and drink it on an empty stomach to experience, hopefully, improved immune function. So what are you waiting for? Power up your immunity today by trying Biome Breakthrough at biomebreakthrough.com slash Drew. Use the code doctor Drew ten to receive ten percent off any order. You have a three hundred sixty five day money back guarantee, no questions asked. That is biomebreakthrough Drew.
2: Hey there, it's Perez Hilton. You might know me from many ways, many things, but I am most proud of being the host of the PHP, the best podcast in the world to get your celebrity news and gossip. If you're not already listening to my show, then this week is definitely your time to start. I'm talking to former beauty queen Miss California herself and somebody that I have quite the past with, Carrie Prijan. She was competing in the Miss USA contest when I asked her that infamous question about same-sex marriage and we have a lot of catching up to do maybe I apologize or she forgives me or who knows how it's gonna go listen and subscribe to my podcast the PHP with me Perez Hilton and Chris Booker every week with new episodes and juicy news every Monday available on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, again, keep the winds in the sail of the Corolla ship, please. Support the people that support us. We try to select these guys carefully. Uh, and also, do check me out at drdrew.tv for a streaming show. Um, please, over at TikTok, at Dr. Drew, at the Instagram, at Dr. Drew Pinsky. And finally, uh, on your mom's house, After Dark, over at uh, drdrew.com or your mom's yourmomshouse.com, whatever you please. Today's guest, Uh, Ben Nelson, he's the former CEO of Snapfish. He is currently the founder of Minerva. This is what I'm so excited to talk about. Reinventing higher education is the goal. Uh, Ben spent more than 10 years at Snapfish where he built the company from a startup to the world's largest personal publishing service. Now 42 million transactions over 22 countries. My goodness! Uh, prior to joining Snapfish, uh, Ben was president and CEO of Community Ventures, uh, locally branded portals for American communities. Uh, and let's see, you're you're uh, from Penn, where you got a B.S. in e- economics, and welcome to the program.
1: Thanks so much. For Are you from me. the East Coast? i was actually born in Israel, and I grew up in New Jersey since the age of ten. Wow. Yeah. Where in New Jersey? Montclair. Mm. Mm. Twenty twenty minutes aside. So, did you
0: have family working in the city? Yeah.
1: No, actually, uh, in in uh, Nutley, my my parents are scientists, and so oh, they, interesting.
0: What were there, what in what?
1: So, they, molecular biology, fantastic. Um, and they were um, and my father, who's a very very prominent scientist is in his mid eighties, and still works seven days a week. Wow! Um, but uh, he was offered a research institute position where he didn't have to teach, which uh, was a huge blessing because he's a great researcher yeah. and has no interest in teaching. Uh. And he had an unlimited budget and he could do basic science research without reporting to anybody. What was his thing? What was the uh, field? Uh, he He's crazy. I mean he's done so many things. He's done uh – uh, molecular biology in in um, uh, in yeasts in neurotransmitter transporters. Oh, wow. He is one of the most important uh, uh, scientists in the world of photosystem one, which is the secret to life on Earth. It's the world's only perfect machine. Which is the photosynthesis? Um, it's a photos it? it's a first step in photosynthesis, and it's it has a hundred percent efficiency it, it, for every photon that it absorbs, it jumps an electron. Wow! And um, it's a massively complex um, structure that. He was the first one to actually um, map the structure of. Does
0: he have a theory where it came from? Um,
1: well, uh, he does actually. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't wait. I figure. So, so at least uh, thoughts. So, what's fascinating about it? So, so you would think a perfect if- machine, like something that's perfectly efficient, it would be simple, right? Because you know you have less friction, less parts. Well, when, when
0: it isn't simple, it makes me think. Well, that's. Came from somewhere, it, right? <laughs> it came in on an asteroid
1: it, or something. That, that's exactly right. So, oh, okay. and and, and Photosystem One is ancient Be, I mean, because you
0: I, it literally. I, I start thinking about the millions and millions of uh, galaxies out there, that's and right. and the and then the time function of millions of galaxies, and that's what it would take to create a unit like that. You
1: you, you jumped very quickly to that wow, conclusion. Yeah, that's very good. But yeah, but, but basically, it's it's almost. Impossible for it to have evolved on Earth. Too much, yeah, it's too, it's much. too much. It didn't yeah. have enough time, right? Yeah. So,
0: uh, so it would have been quadrillion of years. That's right. right? Yeah. Well, oh, how fascinating! Yeah. Oh, so we're I, we're, I, we're all aliens, basically. I a, well, listen, I, I think that the whole thing of mitochondria jumping into animal cells, yeah. uh, there's something there too. That mitochondria, bacteria, whatever it was. Yeah. Which was a bacteria before yeah. it became mitochondria. Um, it probably came from somewhere and then yeah. jumped in, and boom! All of a sudden, we have animal yeah. life, plant yeah. life. Anyway, I don't. That's not the purpose of <laughs> today. <laughs> Although I would argue that if you do your job well, your students will be thinking about things like this. Absolutely. So, so talk to me about Minerva University.
1: Sure. Um, well, the the core premise, uh, you know, I, being an immigrant and and having the U.S. being my adopted home, I.
0: You can see uh, things the rest of us can't see. Well, it's it's
1: actually <laughs> not even that. It's it's um there's a a, a love of country that is um, intellectual mm. as opposed to automatic,
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right?
1: Because when you choose a place to be your home and you you have to really buy into that system. I mean, when when I moved here when I was ten, my parents, the institute they worked for, unfortunately shut down. They moved back to Israel when they were twenty, and it was a bit of a juncture point for me. I was already in, at Penn, but I had to really make a decision: Am I an American or am I Israeli? Yes, and I chose to be an American. I I realized that. Well,
0: there must have been somebody who made a choice to be an Israeli too along the way. Where, where did well, they come from? That's right.
1: So, I mean, my father was actually born in Palestine before the country was was formed. And uh, his parents migrated from – my grandmother is Ukrainian. My uh, grandfather is from Belarus. Uh, and so, so
0: I have the same exact – except my grandfather is from yeah. Ukraine. My m- grandmother is from brothers, Belarus. Yeah. And, but there was this huge exodus around yeah. Holodomor and all that stuff. That's exactly so, right. So, yeah. yeah.
1: So they, they, were, they were part of that. And my mother actually who's Polish um, was a Holocaust survivor. Mm-hmm. And so she migrated to Israel in 1950. Um, after after the war and and after everything else, so they so they they were they chose that you know incredible entity because it was a uh, it was a beacon of hope in, in world discrimination, and I effectively chose uh, the United States because of the promise of the country and what it's all about, and I was very much enamored with the idea of a representative republic and what that means. And when I went to college, Is, I, Israelis not
0: a representative a republic?
1: No, it's a parliamentary democracy. Oh, of course.
0: Okay. You know, yeah, it's a
1: parliamentary right. democracy. So uh and has a lot of dysfunction because of that. <laughs> I've
0: recently been having a little admiration, a little envy for parliamentary <laughs> <laughs> processes, just you know, watching uh, you know what goes on in England and things always sort of fascinating and entertaining yeah. to me. But go on, go no. on.
1: So when I when I went to, to college, I took a class on the history of the American University. In fact, my first my first semester of freshman year. And what what struck me as as you know in a really lightning bolt moment was that the ideal of the American university, the concept of a liberal arts education, people hear the term, they say, oh, you know, liberal arts, what does that mean? Art, poetry, you know, stuff like that. And of course, it has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with the humanities at all. It is the art. Well, it has something to do with the humanities. Well, not as the founding fathers envisioned it because they they think about – when they thought about what a liberal arts education is about, they really thought about how do you form this new society where you're not born into your station and you don't serve the cross or the crown. Right that you yourself are the sovereign
0: how, how do you make good right. citizens how really do you make, make it. good citizens yeah. exactly and it that, was really a Roman concept right? exactly yeah. it was
1: yeah. modeled after ancient Rome yeah. in ancient Rome the idea is that you would be uh, educated in the arts or disciplines that allow you to have freedom or liberty hence the liberal arts and so it, with enfranchisement comes responsibility, and you know we we don't you know really think about it that much. But and when the United States was founded, only six percent of the population was enfranchised. Mm-hmm. It's really a, it really is a fascinating uh, perspective. And, well,
0: and the founding fathers had great fear of the rest. <laughs>
1: that that is <laughs> correct. That be, is correct for,
0: because they weren't liberally educated. Because
1: they were not liberally educated, yeah. and the entire model—the Jeffersonian model, the Franklinian model—what Franklin called practical knowledge, what Jefferson called useful knowledge. The theory was we will expand enfranchisement over time, but we have to educate first. Mm. We have to actually provide systematic thinking that allows our citizens to have practical knowledge such that not only can they vote, but they can also change careers, which was such a radical idea in the 18th century. But if you're going to have uh, somebody who will act as a senator, as a judge, as a president, you're not training for that job you 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 may have been a merchant or a uh, or a farmer beforehand, and you have the capacity to take the learnings you have from one area and apply it to another.
0: Yeah, I mean, Cincinnati was a great uh, role model for That's that right. whole that whole idea.
1: That's exactly right. So, As was well Franklin.
0: Yeah, and so you're you know you're talking to someone who has very <laughs> strong feelings about liberal arts, oh. went to a liberal arts college, and, oh. and feel that. You know, that's why I could think about photosynthetic uh, processes yeah. and things and, and sort of reason about that because I was well, just beat the shit out of <laughs> uncritical thinking and, and, and analytic thought. And it changed my mind, it changed yeah. my brain. Uh, so I have a very strong opinion about liberal arts done well and liberal arts not done well. That's right. Not done well, it's it's a nothing. It's It's a nothing. It's a zero. It's a zero. And done well, it's exactly what we're talking about. That's right. And to do it well is very hard and requires a lot of work and dedicated teachers.
1: That's right. And it requires, really, if you really want to do it, it requires a curricular approach.
0: Well, talk about that. Go ahead. Well, to me, because I, I sort of agree with you, but I'm yeah. not sure I agree with you. Go okay, ahead. so
1: so so this was this was kind of the lightning bolt moment, which yeah. was I looked at all the courses that I was taking at Penn yeah. that semester or the following semester. Yeah. I was looking at all of my friends; they going every other Ivy League university, top whatever liberal arts college, and none of us. None of us were actually getting a liberal arts education as originally conceived. Mm. And, and the reason for that was – went back at the time. This was 30 years ago, 25 years before, right? Which was the approach that used to happen for liberal arts education was the old core, yeah. right? The core, dead white core men, curriculum, right? core the curriculum, curriculum so the Greek and Latin, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I I I see the merits of that, but I don't. But I also see the critiques of it, right? And the idea that no, 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 you you read this book, not that book, and you you get to the core again, as Franklin called it, practical knowledge by abstraction, right? You read the primary source, and then you eventually get to the point where you understand the core driving principles. Instead, and then this is really what's kind of a fascinating part of uh, of, of higher education history it's maybe a little bit wonky but in the late 1960s when the students at brown university were taking over college hall and wanted to be down with the core curriculum and you know to start the open curriculum which i think of as the death of of american education they didn't say get rid of the core and replace it with nothing yeah which is effectively what brown is today nothing you can do whatever you want Uh, there's no requirements of any kind they said you need to stop telling us, read this book, not that book. And instead, you should pre- develop a series of classes on what they refer to as methods of thinking. Mm. And then once we are equipped with methods of thinking, then hey, give us free rein on the curriculum. Let us go and explore whatever it is we want to explore. The faculty senate, desperate to get the kids out of college hall so they don't occupy the president's office, got together. And they couldn't agree on which methods to teach. right? So they basically passed the open curriculum without the prerequisites the students were asking for. And we got the destruction of, of well, curricular I, education. And then represents. the
0: post-structuralist stepped in and that's the end of it.
1: That's right. Right.
0: And so this is very unpopular. It would actually be called racist, I bet, even <laughs> now. Uh, and uh, yeah, the post-structuralists have put the final nails in the, those coffins. That, that's right. Um, so so what was I just thinking about? Methods of thinking. Oh, you know, the one thing that in my liberal arts education that really helped um, maintain the liberal, liberal approach was even when I was being taught extremely high-level science, it was always put in a historical context. Mm. Like literally when I was taught calculus, the professor got up there and said, here 's what Newton was thinking on that tuesday mm. and and then then he would go to us, go, "How do you think he solved that? Where do you yeah. think he went next?" and we of course would never figure it out but but then he'd go, no, he did this and so already we were engaged That's in right. the process the contextualization calculus was always sort of mysterious to me until this one professor yeah. laid it out literally thought by thought in the um Principia uh, the, from yeah. Newton, and, yeah. and, and and immediately attaches you to what else was he thinking, and what was going on around him at the time, and you, you start you automatically start thinking that way. So that's sort of um, where where i have I'm my yeah. head's at with all this. Well, too.
1: and 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 that's the beauty of it because what what that professor did, and you know, I can give you the exact opposite experience I had with calculus yeah. in college, yeah. right? Where where my professor who was a genius i mean he he fought in the korean war had his left arm blown off spoke five different languages including korean uh despite the fact that he was german uh he was a learned man he was ma- he was just had an encyclopedic mind and he was had a computer for a mind mm. i mean you remember one time the only thing i remember from that class is somebody asked him some random question which uh they really were struggling with which he didn't know before. And he says, yeah, you know, this is a very complex question. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really fascinating, even though, you know, the answer is radical three over two. <laughs> and, the and then took 25 minutes to develop the proof. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, but but the problem was because of that he was a horrendous teacher. Yeah. Right. Because for him he could go through. I mean, what took him twenty five minutes would take any mortal like three days to figure right. out, and, and I, he couldn't explain it. And it was
0: also top down as <laughs> right. opposed to bottom up. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Right. So so the but what was brilliant about your professor and this is really the core of the Minerva philosophy is. A method of thinking isn't something that you profess. It's not something that you present. It's something that you challenge and require the students to struggle with and apply. Yes. Right? Yes. And, and the well, my
0: teachers will always go, I don't want to know what you know. I, don't know what you, I want to know what you don't know. A, and so, so they'll, they'll go, assume you know everything I'm telling you. Now I'm going to give you a question that you've never thought about. And, and by the way, may not yet have been solved. Right, It may be an unsolvable that, question. That's right. Or may have just been solved by a Nobel laureate last year. But I want to see you struggle with it.
1: That's right. Or maybe even doesn't have a right answer. Right. Maybe has many wrong answers and people people potentially correct
0: People answers. don't even understand what you're talking about when you say that. They, they really mean they, – they don't when – when, in my world when I was challenged in that fashion, they weren't saying – Go ahead, do whatever you want. Figure yeah. it out. No, no, <laughs> they were saying right. work towards that solution, and there is a way to do it that is correct, and there are ways to do it that are foolish. That's right. And they will let you know when you're being dumb. They will that's call right. you dumb and foolish. Straight absolutely, to
1: your face. <laughs> yeah. absolutely. And and that's so important to be able to distinguish between what is certainly incorrect and what is potentially correct.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's it's and it's just like not. Um, not good thinking. And and right. and by the way, we'll try to help you develop that good thinking and challenge you with other things. And the same thing is true on the writing side, not just on the proof side. You know, ask a question uh, or defend a position or something. There are ways to do that that are smart and there are ways to do that that are just sort of inadequate. Uh, and exactly. you've got to build somebody up into a very analytically appropriate – um, response and it takes time and you're gonna fail a bunch. It's not gonna feel good. That's right. Oh my god, I, I, my one of my philosophy classes. Uh, I remember I wrote this paper on Descartes, and it it looked so good. I mean, it was so complicated <laughs> what I what I laid out, and I got a D. Uh. And and I was like. <laughs> And I, And I made when I got back when I came back out here after bringing the East, I would pay people to read. I go read this page and see if that yeah. sounds like really oh my God, that sounds amazing. Here's the great. Lift it up and yeah. see because it wasn't what Dakar was talking about. it yeah. wasn't what the question was <laughs> you know what I mean it was yeah. just, it was a lot of gobbledygook.
1: well and you know and that's another casualty of of the past thirty some years, really you know it started fifty years ago but but thirty years ago it accelerated, which is. No one can get a D anymore. Mm. There are no Ds anymore offered at, at, mm. at universities. They're extinct. Grade inflation – in fact, there was a study that Crazy. came out two or three months ago. It showed that 100% of the gains at university graduation rates, 100% over the last 30 years since 1990, are attributed to grade inflation.
0: Beautiful. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. Well, so do you think – the? well, so this is back to your uh, project here. Yeah. Do you think the marketplace is going to solve this problem or the fact that these – Universities and these institutions are so highly endowed that they they don't uh, under not under the sway of market forces.
1: So so this is the um, this is really the core insight behind Minerva, which is that unfortunately, if you just go out there and make the argument of no no no, we've got to do it better on the merits, nobody cares because Why? the market because the market really is fixated. And you know, and, and look, just think about it. it think in, in, in education um, uh, about all of the big movements. Like for example, the, the, what happened at Brown in 1968? Yes. What happened at Brown then was immediately copied by Berkeley. What happened at Berkeley was copied by every other university in the country, right? And, and as soon as Harvard went on, everybody lockstep marched in yeah. and banned the core curriculum. The University of Chicago, the great Chicago core, is not a core; it's a distribution requirement now. Yeah. Right. So. Everybody abandoned the idea of curricular thing because the top. Think about ten years ago, you know, the launch of the MOOCs, right? The massive open online courses. Online courses existed for thirty years. Mm. Nobody cared, mm. but because three rogue professors at Stanford, without the permission of the university, said, "Oh, let's put our our class online." They got a bunch of press. Harvard and MIT lost their minds, <laughs> right? And and as soon as they put up their uh, MOOCs, every university on the planet said, "Oh, we've got to have MOOCs." You ask them why. I mean, I, I was in the world of education. I asked them, why are you doing books. I said, we have, we have no idea. Harvard and MIT are doing it. We've got to do it too. And so what, what we realize at Minerva is if you actually want to flip the idea of education, you've got to create a role model. You've got to create an elite institution that redefines the rules of what being elite is And then tap into the actual market of higher education. The market force of higher education are not the market forces you and I are used to. It's not a commercial market. It's a prestige market because everybody in higher education is focused on one thing and one thing only. They're focused on prestige. Their institutional prestige, their personal prestige. I am the world's foremost expert at X. That, you know, my competitor doesn't know what he's talking about. Their departmental prestige it's a nest of prestige elements. yeah. But there is a big lie, if we use that term, that has been perpetuated by universities for decades, which is that despite the fact that their prestige is not derived from educational outcomes, it's derived from research. That really is where right. prestige is coming from. Right. But for 8 billion people on the planet, if you ask them what makes the best university, they'll say, oh, they provide the best education. Harvard doesn't say, we've got top-notch research. Our education is pretty bad, Mm. but we've got top-notch research. No. They say, we're the world's best university. You come to us to get the best education. And that's what we leaned in on. We said, okay, if that is the lie, we're just going to lean into it. Ergo, if we provide the world's best education, if we actually provide a system where it's not up to just a great professor to figure this out, Mm -hmm. and they only have you for four months, but instead... They work on an intellectual taxonomy that is pervasive across history and math and computer science and psychology and biology, that you apply these methods of thinking, these systems of thinking across the curriculum and you develop mental flexibility within the student. If we do that and we produce better outcomes than the Ivy League, then we can very easily say, using their definition – we're the best university in the world, and now you have a different leader in which to follow, and that really is what Minerva has done. How's it going? Uh, exceptionally well. So, so uh,
0: the 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 one sort of area I would be worried about is the kids that want to go on to graduate school. So same ahead. thing
1: I was worried about as well, yeah. right? So be-
0: because the, because to to really grind kids properly with liberal arts. You got to grind them on a grade level too.
1: That that's exactly right. Yeah. And so we we so I knew that if we provide this type of systematic thinking, we would have outsized outcomes. But I was exactly worried about graduate school because Mm. number one, I'm not polite about my critique of other universities, Mm. and I'm very public about it. Mm. Um, And I thought, well, maybe some universities will hold a grudge. Um, but second, I thought, well, you know, the process of applying to graduate schools, you know, it's tried and true. People look at the school and all the background and we were brand new, right? Our, our first class graduated two and a half years ago. Wow. So let me – Where is you, it? Where is it? So so yeah, let, let me tell you yep. first ab- ab- about the outcomes since you yeah, talked yeah. about graduate yeah, school. But let's look at graduate school outcomes. So we had our first we – we're a tiny university, 100 and some students every year. Our first class was only 103 students.
0: It's It's the getting – Into graduate school I'm worried about, not performing graduate school. Correct, correct. So
1: so, uh, of those 103 students, four of our students decided to pursue postgraduate degrees at Harvard. All four were accepted. Um, One uh, is doing a PhD – not one of those four. Another one is doing a PhD in neuropsychology at Princeton. Another one is doing a PhD in physics at Berkeley. Is
0: that because they're – a. Performance on standardized testing when they're trying to get in, or what? What was now,
1: it? It, it there? So that's the beauty of uh, of it. Oh, and and I and we've got a, a one that did a master's at Cambridge, a PhD in computer science at Chicago. Yeah. I mean, just extraordinary uh, outcomes that are indexed above yeah. any Ivy yeah. League university yeah. graduate class. Yep. Right? Yep. The, the, our distribution is at the top end.
0: But and, here's and that's the, and that's published, and people can see that. Now. Yes. Yeah. Good.
1: But here's the beauty of it: the modal student. In the Ivy League today is a millionaire, the modal student. 53% of the students in the Ivy League don't qualify for financial aid, which means that their family can afford, without blinking, $80,000 a year. The modal student at Minerva comes from a family making less than $25,000 a year. Mm. 60% of our students come from families making less than $50,000 a year. And so to take a population that – has no guarantees, has no pathway forward right. without their education, and be able to produce better than Ivy League results is the proof point.
0: It speaks for itself,
1: right? Yeah. So, um,
0: uh, how about professional schools? Because they're kind of
1: well, that, that is included. So, for example, yeah. um, we have uh, a, a student uh, not in the first class, but in the second class that applied to Harvard Law School, mm. Chinese national, applied to Harvard Law School and got in. Mm. Right. Which is pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Now, the professional schools, we have a lower propensity for our students to apply to because our students are overwhelmingly international. Uh. So we, we have a very radically different perspective on admissions, huh. whereas we admit a student not based on a quota, not based on comparative to other students. We have an absolute bar. So we look at minimal qualifications, which are extremely high to, hard to reach. We have about a 1% acceptance rate. But if you pass the bar, you're in. We have a 100% acceptance. We never look at somebody and say, you're qualified, but we have too many of you. Mm-mm. So, you you know, sorry, we have no room.
0: What are the criteria?
1: Um, it's actually really straightforward. The reason we have such a socioeconomically diverse class is that we don't ask an application that Basically ask one question, which is what every other application asks, which is how rich are you? And then bend yourselves into pretzels to admit non-rich students because they don't pass the how-rich-are-you bar. Right, right. right? So what do we do? We look at really three things. We look at how well did you do in high school compared to your peers. right? So – you know, uh, and we don't assume that the valedictorian of Phillips Exeter is any better than the valedictorian of a public school in northeast Brazil. There's there's nothing to say that. There is to say in their circumstance, how well did you do?
0: Relative to your peers.
1: Relative to your peers. So that's after, uh, aspect number one. Aspect number two, we have our own set of assessments.
0: How, how do you – by the way, yeah. how do you uh, evaluate kids at these elite places where relative to your peers is sort of a different question than out in the
1: wild? Because, you know? because then what we do is we have this – the, the uh, set of evaluations that we've created to norm across the world, right? So one is, shows how effectively we refer to it as how well do you know how to eat your spinach? We don't assume assume that high school was a revelatory, amazing (laughs) experience for you. We assume that you knew that you had to do well in that context to get to the next context, right? And did you have the capacity to do well? And did you have the focus and resilience to do well, despite the fact that it may not have been particularly engaging? What does do well mean?
0: Again, relative be to the, be the best. Okay. Yeah, relative. Okay. <laughs> exactly.
1: Okay. Be like top okay. out, right? Okay. So, so that's aspect number one. Aspect number two is then we have our own set of, of assessments, standardized assessments. And the key to them is really that most of the assessments that we give, the students have no idea why we ask the questions we ask. And in fact, even the graders, even the, the people who, who assess what the students have done, and that includes an oral interview that is recorded. It includes writing, um, a, a written portion on a very convoluted question that people don't really ask. Well, why are you asking this question? But the rubrics that are used to evaluate those things aren't exposed to the graders. The graders merely answer yes or no questions and they don't know whether yes or no is good. They don't even know which yes or no questions we are incorporated into the rubric and everything is just a giant formula that sits in the back end. And that enables us to level the playing field and norm across the world where you actually see the the broad capacity of of the student. And then the third thing we look at is assuming that your high school is perhaps not the most engaging thing in the world. What did you do outside of an academic pursuit to actually exercise itch that uh, – or yeah. scratch that itch that you have? Mm-hmm. And again, we use rubrics to evaluate that. So that combination – Do those have to
0: be academic things or can they be, they be sports, no, or theater, or music they, or whatever? They, yeah.
1: It's best for them to be beyond academics. Yeah. So it's certainly beyond anything that is assigned. Yeah. You don't yeah. really think about things that your school makes you do. Yeah. And, and then all of that goes into a formula. And the formula produces a number and the number either puts you above or below a bar. Wow. And that's how you get in. Crazy. You can't buy your way in. It doesn't matter. We don't know who your parents are. We don't know who your siblings are. We have no idea. I remember the first time we admitted uh, a, a, a sibling of an existing student. We didn't know until that sibling was applying for financial aid and in the financial aid process after uh, they were admitted, it says, you know, where do you have uh, uh, you know, other people in the family that go to school and say, Oh yeah, I have a sibling at Minerva was like, What? We had no idea.
0: How do people find out about Minerva?
1: Well, it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, uh, so the university itself has now been around for, my God, university, nine years. You mean it
0: has a graduate program too? Uh,
1: yeah, so we have a master's program. Wow. Right. Okay. Yeah. And a master's in decision analysis, which is a, a, actually designed for people who want to get that systematic thinking mm-hmm. from, uh, from a remote perspective. So the, the undergraduate program, the residential program is very intense. Where is it's it? Very live. So we're based in San Francisco. But the students only spend uh, a year in San Francisco out of their four years. Mm. The other three years, they move together as a cohort and live in six other countries around the world. Wow! And so everything they learn in that systems of thinking that they start with, not only do they apply in course after course, subject after subject, they apply across culture, across context. And in each one of those locations, it's never a campus. They live in a building Mm. in the middle of the city. They shop for themselves. They cook for themselves. They go to gym in the local gym. Nothing is – they are adults. Incredible. Right? And they provide – they get provided a – A layer of support infrastructure to help them navigate the adult world. And and
0: where do you get your professors? And these are obviously people dedicated to undergraduate education. Correct.
1: Correct. So um, uh, you know, it's funny that if you look at the the top three universities from which we get our professors, where they've done their previous Mm. PhD or their studies, are they full time professors? Full time professors. Right. So number one source is Cambridge. Two is Harvard. Three is Stanford. Mm. Um, It's just that these are individuals who are gravitating towards a a holistic, systematic education.
0: I want to tell you about a new product, Pendulum Therapeutics, the first and only biotech company to isolate an important beneficial bacteria and put it into a new probiotic-rich capsule that is formulated to help manage type 2 diabetes and nurture your body's microbiome. That's right. For those with type 2 diabetes, diet and exercise well, that's your cornerstone of treatment, but sometimes it's not enough. A connection has been made recently in research by leading scientists studying diabetes, of course, it includes the American Diabetes Association, Mayo Clinic, Johns Hopkins, and others, making the connection between diabetes, glycemic control, and the gut microbiome. Pendulum glucose control is designed to lower A1C and after meal glucose levels to help you manage the type 2 diabetes often feel like an uphill battle. But if you've struggled to manage these levels with diet and exercise alone, which is the cornerstone, your gut microbiome might be something to pay attention to next. And Pendulum Glucose Control helps fill in the gaps between diet and exercise. Now, if you or someone you love has type 2 diabetes, take control of the glucose levels with Pendulum Glucose Control. Use code DREW at PendulumLife.com. That's p e n d u l u m. L-I-F-E, PendulumLife.com, to get 20% off your first month of membership. Again, that is PendulumLife.com, promo code DREW, for 20% off your first month of membership. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. I think we all know that relationships take work, especially the important ones, and a lot of us will drop anything to help someone else, someone we care about, but we may not go out of our way for ourselves. It's time to invest in our own mental health. I mean, I mean, the fact that there's stigma against this is so, it's it's confusing to me, frankly. Not anymore, especially when you can have better help. You don't have to worry about, you know, waiting for an appointment. You can often get your therapist within 48 hours. You don't have to worry about running into somebody in a waiting room. You don't have to see the therapist if you don't want to. Better help is online therapy, video, phone, even live chat sessions. You don't have to see anyone as I said. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast as I said is sponsored by BetterHelp and the Dr. Drew podcast listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com/drew that is b e t t e r h e l p.com/drew now, you're itching to get away. We, we all are going to move around after COVID, but it's important to take a second and be prepared for the unexpected when traveling. One of the best ways to do that is with an Air MedCare Network Fly You Home membership. AMCN Fly You Home is all about you taking co- control of your care. If you get hurt or sick and are hospitalized more than 150 nautical miles from home, they will transport you to a hospital of your choice in a medically equipped private aircraft. And you won't have to pay a dime out of pocket. They've also completed more than 18,000 missions and have over 30 years of experience. You can expect industry-leading care while recovering. Now, I know what you're thinking. This must be expensive, but it is as cheap as $134 a year for your entire household. And if you use the code Doctor Drew, that is D-R-D-R-E-W, they'll give you up to a $60 gift card when you join. First of all, if you're like me, and you love getting away? I cannot recommend enough the peace of mind you get with an AMCN Fly You Home membership. Just visit Network dot com slash Doctor Drew today. Get up to a sixty dollar gift card with code Doctor Drew D R D R E W. Again, that is Network dot com slash Doctor Drew and code Doctor Drew. Well, these days, I think we've all had our fair share of stress. There's <laughs> We have pandemics and wars, my goodness. And of course, we all say we're fine when people ask us how we're doing, but fine, we're we're really, none of us are fine. And it's not an emotion anyway. How many times have you told yourself you're fine when you've felt other things or you've been even worse yet disconnected from those feelings? Headspace is scientifically proven to help you manage your feelings and hopefully improve your mental health. In fact, in a recent study, People improved in just two weeks using Headspace. It can reduce stress by up to 14% in those two weeks. Whether you want to relieve stress, sleep better, reduce anxiety, improve your focus, Headspace is your everyday dose of mindfulness for real life. I've been using Headspace for a while, and I particularly like the very short meditations. It's amazing what you can do in such a short period of time. However you're feeling, try Headspace at headspace.com slash drew and get one month free off their entire Mindfulness library. It is extensive. There's something there for everyone. This is the best Headspace offer available. So go to Headspace.com/slash/drew today. Headspace.com/slash/drew. So, do you have a plan? See, now I'm having a. I'm struggling with (laughs) this notion that you're taking the best and creating Cincinnati's Cincinnati's, which is great but i feel like the the students just under this group i'm Correct. sure I'm where your heads at yes. it, the ones that could be brought up you know yes. whose brains could this that was me yeah. whose brains could be brought into this performance which is a which is a more of a struggle um, and probably needs to be done in a one place you know because i don't think yeah. the, i don't think i'm thinking about myself being able to tolerate this but but it took some grinding to correct. get my brain into the game. Correct. Um, what about them? What so, are you going to do with them?
1: So that's the that's the yeah. master plan. Yeah. And in fact, that's what we've started implementing 2 years ago. Yeah. So, at, remember as I mentioned, the role of Minerva isn't to gobble up the world of education and educate everybody. It's to be a beacon. Mm. It's to be that But it's
0: also not just to make the best better. Correct. If you feel like you want to make you want a be good citizen.
1: Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is a model for other universities, not just around the country, but around the world to follow. Mm-hmm. And, and. The extreme version of Minerva, which is Minerva University, where you you basically have to be an adult at eighteen, and yeah, you, you, yeah. I mean, I couldn't that that. is not a good idea for you know ninety nine point nine percent of humanity. It's a right. bad model De- developmentally.
0: Right? Yeah. You know, my brain, and and by the way, the male brain, my male brain didn't really have the I, the difference between eighteen and twenty in my right. performance was ridiculous. That's right. Yeah. Go That's ahead.
1: right. Exactly right. So it is. Not recommended for, for the vast majority of people, but that is where the Minerva Project comes in. So the Minerva Project is actually the company that developed all the intellectual property that enabled Minerva University to exist. Amazing. Now all of the classes that we teach, and this is really, a, a, well, was counterintuitive. Maybe days even more counterintuitive. All, despite the fact that all of our students live in the same building, since we started in 2014, none of our students were allowed. To go into a physical classroom for learning, all of our seminars, despite the fact they were small, were all conducted online, all in a digital learning environment. Now, that hmm. seems totally counterintuitive, yes, especially because we think today, oh my God, we've seen the pandemic, right? What yeah. happens is online learning was horrendous. It was, it was terrible. Di- different age group, right?
0: to be fair. Yeah. Right. Different age group. Although my son went right. to law school two, yeah. two of the four years he was going online. Right. And it was fine.
1: Right. Yeah. And so this was actually the thing that people didn't understand about the educational lessons of the pandemic, which is if you are a bad educator or if you're a bad educational institution, throwing technology at the problem will only make it worse. Right. But if you rethink what is the purpose of education, if the purpose of education is breadth of application – after depth of knowledge. Depth of knowledge is not enough. You actually have to be able to know what to do and how to apply it. Now, all of a sudden, you say, wait a second, I need concepts taught in one class, repeated in another, and I need them to be assessed in a third, and I need them to be scaffolded in a fourth and a fifth. All of a sudden, you realize that without data, without information, you can't actually deliver that kind of education. You have to rely on the professor that says, let me bring historical context into calculus. But if a professor doesn't do that or doesn't have that context, or not, let alone the all of the other contexts, the, the sociological, and by the
0: way, a, a hard work for him. He had to do all that, correct? And then every time you know Newton came to a decision or a thinking point, he asked us to solve yeah, it. Exactly. And he had to take that time and energy to get that out of us, exactly, and, and know the, that we couldn't do it
1: too. And, 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 exa- <laughs> so, and most professors huh. simply won't do it. Yeah, they just right roll through. And it. so a digital learning environment that's built for that purpose. Mm-hmm. Can actually enable that kind of education at mass.
0: So you and, mentioned, hang on now, because yeah. there's one, one thing I want to get at, yeah. which is you mentioned seminar, yeah. which is a, you know a symposium, right? That's right, a, and. That works on digi- in digital context, or do, you, or do you bring a group together for that? No,
1: no, no. It's it's all digital, and that's the beauty of it.
0: And then, how much of this is symposia? Because you know, there are some schools out there that are quite good that are just that. You go read the mm-hmm. classics, and then you come in and are challenged on it, and that's what you do every day. That's right. Is that a lot of what's going on here on the humanity side, particularly, or no?
1: No. It's well, the beauty of it is it's on of every side. And oh. it's not just about the classics, right? It's, it, in fact, it's, the majority of it is not classics. It's concept, hmm. right? And so you, you learn a concept. Like, for example, you, you know, one of the core things that we teach is, um, uh, is this concept of right problem. Right? Basically, knowing what problem needs to be solved as opposed to addressing root cause as opposed to symptom mm-hmm. right, is probably the easiest way of thinking about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And I always use this, this – actually, use doctors as, as an analogy right? in the sense that you know, doctors ask diagnostic questions all the time, mm-hmm. right? 20 times a day. Right? Yeah. What's wrong? You'd never yeah. prescribe a medication before they know what the illness is. Yeah. Yeah. Yet that same doctor can go home and see that their spouse didn't take the trash out and get into this giant fight, right? <laughs> and none of them would say, hey, you know, let's, let's pause a second. Yeah. Let's understand what's at the root cause of this friction and talk about that, yeah. right? Even though it's the same skill, but they don't know how to transfer it, right? And that, that transference can only come from training the mind in the same lexicon. Don't call one part diagnosing disease and another part treating a root cause. Use the same language across discipline, across context, across culture, yeah. across situation to be able to develop that skill, that mental fluidity in the mind.
0: Are you teaching languages also or are most of them coming in with more than one?
1: No. So so we, as a matter of principle, and Cambridge does the same thing, we are deep believers in language i think almost all of our students are trilingual by the time well, they graduate well, that's what we thought. but we yeah. don't teach them ourselves I because see. we believe that a, well we know that the best way to learn a language isn't to sit in a class and, you know it's immersion yeah. right so so that's it's 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 obviously a um a much a much more uh a straightforward uh, uh approach and and so what the Minerva project did of course was not only build that curricular approach, the pedagogical approach, we do fully active learning, which means that the students, just like you described, do deep processing all the time. They have to struggle with the yeah. question. They have to think about it. Even when they're not the ones being called on, yeah. the question is posed first, so everybody has to deal with it. And then one person is called on halfway through their answer. They're cut yeah. off. The second person is yeah, asked I mean, to complete, et cetera. I mean, there's,
0: there's sort of three things I think about in learning. One is memory, which is no. unfortunately what most education is. Right. Then it's problem solving, which is a skill set. And then it's brain growth. That's right. And, and brain growth is the process of doing the problem solving. Exactly. Not so much the memory stuff. Exactly. The memory is sort of using the same pathways over and over again.
1: That's right. So. That's right. And brain growth in a nonlinear fashion. Yeah. Right? Um, and, and that's really the beauty of the dimensionality of transfer because sometimes, you know, one is applying it across subject areas, But I'll give you another example, which I think is is, is really profound. This idea- of- All of this is profound. <laughs> but go ahead. Keep going. Oh, this, is from the, this is from the literature, the literature of, of, of transfer, right? Which is- there is a different pathway in, uh, or, or just capacity in the brain about being able to critique somebody else's work mm. and produce work yourself, right? So, oh, you, so totally some, right, yeah, totally, yeah, different, totally, totally different, right? Different, yeah. And so, uh, one of the things we teach our students uh, we refer to as, as hashtag audience, which mm. is you know know what audience you're talking to and tailor your message accordingly. And on the one hand, people understand. Well, that sounds. Straightforward. Of course, you should think about that. We also understand, well, it's really hard to implement, right? Because you have to really know how to tailor messages and things like that. But you go and you ask somebody, well, how do you transfer audience? How do you think about audience in different contexts? They – I mean their brains melt. They say, well, you can't. I mean it's, it's a directional thing. You're speaking to somebody. You're writing to someone. Maybe the modality is different and you have to tailor your message depending on that person. But the way I like to think about it is – I'll give you just one – of that uh, production versus critique version. If you really understand audience, you understand that when you say something, the only thing that really matters, if you really want to be effective, is what the person hearing you hears from you. Your intent is irrelevant. It doesn't matter, well, this isn't what I meant to say. What matters is this is what I feel when you say that to me. Right? And that's why if you want to be effective – You have to be able to tailor the impact of your words to be accurate. But when you yourself are the audience, you have to also realize that you have all of these biases and filters in your mind. And the only thing that matters when you're an audience isn't the impact on you. It's somebody else's intent. That's transfer. Right Now, if you think about where our society is today, it's the exact opposite. Mm. You have one camp that says, I'll say whatever the hell I want, right? No consequences. And then you have another audience that says – another group of folks that say, I don't care what anybody's intent is. The only thing is what I feel. Both are completely wrong and they're destructive, Yes, right? Because if you had a population that was constantly thinking about how do I bring others along the journey and – being inquisitive and open and thinking about what do they actually mean when they say those things? I know I feel bad, but is that what they want me to feel? Or is there something else behind there? We would have a unified society. So are,
0: I try to make sure I get what you're saying. Are you talking about being able to be objective about your own biases, mm-hmm. which is being a scientist essentially? That's right. Uh, versus and this is on, the, on the distribution or what do you call it? Transference of right. knowledge. Um, are we talking about persuasion or rhetoric or both? Both, right? Because anytime you interact so with someone, Aristotelian rhetoric, that kind of thing. Is that what you do? You teach something formal like that, or
1: that, that's right? We fee, we we teach effective interactions, mm. right? One of the four well, but there's capacities. A, there's
0: a gigantic topic of emotional exchange, frankly. That's right. That's okay, right. You teach that and too. emotional okay. exactly.
1: So okay. we have eighty of these. Uh. Uh, effectively we refer to as habits of mind foundational concepts that scaffold up to teach these Four broad systems of thinking.
0: Now, now that feels like something you would want the average person to know. Correct. Do you, do you have that out there somewhere? That's right. Okay, That's right. Please. So, so where, where do I get
1: it? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, uh, unfortunately, uh, if it was just something that you could read, even though we we've published a book and it's you know it's about building it's called building the intentional university and it's uh, it's all about that, but it's frankly not a popular book. It's not for popular consumption. Yeah, it's yeah. very uh, uh, um, wonky. Let's put it that way, um, but real education—and I'm sorry to, to the, be the bearer of bad news—requires time. Yeah, there's no wisdom one, two, three. Yeah. right. You have to be able to spend the time. And so, what the Minerva Project is now doing is, we're working on two um, uh, avenues to do this. On with other universities, we're working to create new programs that new univers- that universities implement that enable this type of education to exist all over the country and really all in, over the in world in any other institution in other institutions yeah. exactly so for example we're working with the university of miami to launch a new college to celebrate the centennial in 2025 Mm -hmm. Um, that is based on this type of philosophy. We're working with Shenandoah University in Virginia uh, to reform their entire general education program. Uh, We're working in graduate-level programs with Berkeley Law, with USC's – When you say we? The Minerva Project, the corporation that works with – How many people are in that? Well, across Minerva as a whole, we have about 250 people and it's about – small. Four, very small, yeah. very small. And only about 40 percent of them are in the corporation. Mm. But it's extraordinarily high leverage and high impact because mm. we build capacity within our partners. We're also working now on a high school curriculum that takes these concepts and interla- interweaves them across your core – Math, science, history, English curriculum in high schools, we actually add a personal growth, the mental growth track. And we do that across ninth through twelfth grade as a uh effectively replacing that memorization focus, teach to the test, you know I mean, cram you some for the of test, that, teach to the fair. Test. I mean, it's a, You need to have some yeah. content, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the model of uh, digest content, cram for the test, take the test. Pass the test, forget, forget the everything content. that I was yes. on the test, yes. isn't useful for anybody, right? right? So, right. so you, you, you need to take content as apply a context, it. right? Apply and apply. Yeah. Apply, 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 transfer, transfer, transfer. And that takes time. And that takes time.
0: And apply through writing, proving, reasoning, talking, debating, defending. Exactly. Amazing, phenomenal. Uh, I, I, I'm imagining that, you know, how teaching sometimes. You grow as much as the students do. Yeah. I'm imagining you've had a tremendous amount of personal growth doing this. I mean, tremendous. unbelievable. Uh, I mean,
1: you know, when I started Minerva, I was 35 years old. I'm now 47. Uh. And, you know, I, I I had this rule when I was 18 years old, when I was about to go to college. I'm a, I'm a bizarre rules-based person. I said, you know, if I look back at the human being that was occupying my body 12 months beforehand in college – um, and I recognize that human being, I'm doing something wrong.
0: And, and you've continued to and,
1: Well, Ooh, so – and I did that basically from 18 to 25. Yeah. And then at 25, I didn't realize – I didn't know this. But hey, their frontal lobe becomes developed. And all of a sudden, that rate of growth slowed dramatically, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I mean I really was – transformed as a person. I was growing. I was really focused on that for that early. Pace. And then
2: I realized, okay, well, you know,
1: now you mature, you become less so and all the rest. And I, I grew. It's not that I became static, but much, much slower pace. And then when I started Minerva at 35, all of a sudden, especially as the students started coming in, right, you know, four years later, and I interacted and we saw and, you know, we developed a curriculum and I started deeply thinking about, well, how do you atomize these types of systems and actually get it into a digestible form, I realized how poorly educated I was, really, right? Because I didn't have a Minerva education.
0: Well, I I was I was kind of thinking that because you went yeah. to a big school and you know, right. all this kind of stuff, and even though I'm sure it was high level and the competition with competition is another important thing, by mm-hmm. the way, competition was intense. It's not this.
1: It's not that. Yeah, that's right. It's not that. And and I found myself, uh, you know, I always tell my students, I say, well. You are more educated than I am by by the end of this. But I am at least – I've at least over the past several years began to practice and apply some of those learnings myself. Do you teach a class? I'm not qualified. I don't have a graduate. Uh, I don't not have a PhD, and educated. so I'm not sufficiently but, educated. But you can still do a little symposium <laughs>
0: sometimes. Yeah, so.
1: I mean, I I interact with students yeah. a lot, and and um, and obviously, you know, I I designed a lot of the yeah. academic programs, so yeah. um, that's you know. But I, I I don't qualify according to the accreditor to actually be able to teach a class. Well, this is
0: <laughs> phenomenal. Uh, I I can't even. I I want to thank you because I've been worried about this for a long time. Um, the, the sort of decay of you know, thought and mm-hmm. real education and stuff, and I and I look at the post-structuralists, and I think this is just—I yeah. feel helpless. This is I, this is a battle that you can't fight, and you're doing it. Well,
1: you're fighting it, it, yeah. And and you know, for the the beauty of of what we do is that ultimately it's it is impossible to argue with. Even the post-structuralists, even when you say, "Look, do you want people to understand the difference between a fact and a claim?" Nobody says, no, that's not important. Do, do you want people to at, at least to, at least to be able to distinguish it? People may argue on what is a fact and claim. They may argue the, you know, what is true or not. But, but, the, just to, but to be able to, to distinguish, yeah. to be able to have a citizenry that understands that, to be able to have a citizenry that understands how to tailor messages that when they communicate and interact with other people, they're effective at what they say as opposed to ineffective. To be able to understand that there are... Emergent properties and second and third order effects to when you do things, you have to think about unintended consequences. No one looks at that and says, "Nobody should know that," or "I disagree." It's it's and it's not political. It's not to say, "Oh, you know, you should read dead white men." No, you should only read, you know, uh, uh, people from diverse backgrounds. It's we don't take stands right on content. It's just tools, and no one can argue with tools.
0: I, I, unfortunately, I think people would. but, but I, w- <laughs> I haven't I would, met those people. <laughs> I would agree with you. I, I would agree with you. And and now, you, now you've brought up emergent property, which is yeah. a whole other oh. – <laughs> but we're not – for another, day. For another for, day. I see Gary over there. Yeah, Gary's like, let's go. We got to get going. All right. Well, listen, you have uh, inspired me. You have enlightened people. I hope people are understanding the importance of what you're talking about and actually what you're talking about and that this isn't see, looked at as some sort of two white guys, you know – no. Uh, spouting a bunch of intellectual nonsense. This is this is this is being able to lead a good life. That yeah. that ultimately was what the founding fathers were. In, right. That's what the Romans were interested in. That's what that's the right. Greeks were interested in. How do humans lead good lives? And ultimately, to be able to, you know, part of Aristotle' thing was that the reasoned life was an important part of that, if not the thing right. in that. But but pretty much everybody comes to the same place, which is to be able to. Make sense of things, have a skill, have a wisdom, apply it, and be able to help others, and be able to really um, address and grow and build. Uh, and this is this is that. This is what you're doing. And the U some. In fact, it's kind of probably important that you didn't have this education to begin yeah. with, because you 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 value. I, I can see it. It kind of affects you differently. Expected me it affects me because I was in it. It changed me. I'm massively yeah. grateful for it. But you kind of. Um, didn't get it. You literally didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, I had little,
1: little glimmers of it. Yeah, little and, and, glimmers. And now
0: you're you're trying to grab it yeah. with both hands, yeah. and and I understand that. And to be able to then be inspired to share that with, hopefully as many as possible, uh, that's a big deal. Uh, Minerva at Minerva University it's spelled M I N E R V A. Minerva.edu is where you're going to find more. Do you want people to come after you or your books or anything? Or?
1: Uh, if, if you really want to geek out and you want to uh, go deep on, on how to build your own university, building intentional, the intentional university is uh, – I've been told is, is an interesting read for those who are really interested in the subject. All
0: right. And, and you yourself? Is there a Twitter or website or anything? That, um, um,
1: I, I, I You follow me by following Minerva. Minerva. Um, I'm, I'm in service of the goddess. So
0: Instagram. Is there a Twitter?
1: Um, yeah. Tr- Twitter is at Minerva University or at Minerva Project either. Okay,
0: really is a privilege. And, and and just thank you for doing this work. Oh, my God. This this is God's work.
1: Well, so It's at least the goddess's work. <laughs> uh, the,
0: well, however <laughs> you conceive of those terms and those things. And then we can call them yeah. the, the great magnets. You're yeah. doing the great magnets work. <laughs> great magnets. Uh, all right. Thank you. It's Ben Nelson. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you want more, it is Minerva.edu. And I'll see you next time. Watch Yellowstone for free on Pluto TV. All this weekend, Pluto TV is streaming a marathon of seasons one to three of Yellowstone, the show the rap calls a smash hit series. Pluto TV also has hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and TV shows like Mission Impossible 3, Gladiator, CSI, and more. Absolutely free. So download the free Pluto TV streaming app and watch Yellowstone seasons one to three free.